Welcome to the Vision Exchange podcast brought to you by Tailored Glory Consulting Group. This is a place where visionaries, luminaries, and masters of thought come together. We gather here to talk, to celebrate, to exchange vision, and to birth great ideas. We want you here with us so you can teach, learn, laugh, cry, and advocate right alongside of us. This is not just our podcast, it's our podcast, and we need your voice. So press play now. Viewer discussion is advised. Hello, ladies. I'm here. I, I said to Benet, I was like, she's on call this week, and I hope this, this might not be the best time. She's on call. Yeah, but it, it was, Patty just, I saw the text Patty saying it was our client, so. Yes. And it was so funny because I literally got the invite to this, and literally two seconds later, I got the phone call, so. <laughs> uh, well, we're so glad you're here. It's all good. Patty, my name is Gloria. It's so nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. It's nice to meet you, too. Renee's always talking about, you know, when you guys are in session and uh, how skilled you are and how you kind of help with, uh, help, you know, steer the, the, the direction of the conversations and how, you know, all your uh, experience. And so I'm excited to, to learn from you today and, and take it, take advantage of some of that experience and wisdom that you have. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, I tell you what, when you, when you find a good teammate, a good partner in this job, it makes all the difference. Oh my gosh. Vinay and I click. That's so good. I do know that. Yes. Nicole, Nicole, who is one of our other coaches that work with Taylor Glory, her and I, we met through Family Base as well. She was my partner. And so, but you really awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, all these years later, still working together because just like you and Renee, we just clicked and yeah. <laughs> it was just good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. Well, Renee, how about you just do the introduction for us of your friend and partner here and then we'll keep going yes yeah, so my friend and partner patty um my co-therapist patty she's going to be doing the podcast with us today i've been working with her for over a year so we've got to know each other pretty well in the time so thank you for joining us today patty oh you're very welcome thank you for asking me so glad that you're here. Well, let's get started and have you just tell us a little bit about your background, your professional background, and kind of how you got into the, the space you're in now professionally. Okay. Well, um, way back, way back when I was in college, I thought I wanted to be a school teacher. And so I did the whole thing, did my student teaching, and then thought, this is not for me. And, you know, it takes a very special person to be a school teacher. But I had sat in a psychology class, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is for me. But I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. So I changed up my major and graduated in psychology from University of Connecticut. And then, um, but then I got married and started having children. So I was a stay-at-home mom for 17 years and then um, decided to get into the field so I started at the very bottom. I became a TSS is what they called it back then, mm-hmm. therapeutic staff support, and did that for about a year. And that was kind of an, it was a really good introduction 
to the mental health field at that time for me. And then that was like in 2001. So then after about a year, they came to me and said, gee, would you like to be family-based therapist? Because they were just starting up their, you know, the program. Mm -hmm. And I was game. So they partnered me with a male therapist and we did that for about a year in York County uh, with family-based. So I was their first therapist in York County. Wow. And so then they partnered me with someone and I learned so much those three years that I was family-based. And I fortunately had the same partner for the three years here in York. And then I started doing some outpatient with the agency at my church. My church had a counseling center. Mm -hmm. And so then I left uh, family-based was doing that full time. And I started to really get interested in the issue of human trafficking Mm. and the fact that it's happening right under our noses here in York County. Wow. So I was able to get on the York County Human Trafficking Task Force. And then I started up um, my own outpatient um, counseling center there at the church. And uh, we had a a really strong focus on human trafficking awareness while I was also counseling like teenage girls, mostly and families. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a while. We started church, churches against trafficking in York County and um, did some awareness events and all. And then um, my mother was dying. So mm. I went to Oklahoma city where I'm from and stayed there for a little bit. Then I was coming back to this area and I explored jobs and applied to Wellspan and they hired me. So I moved back because my kids and grandkids are in this area. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's how I got with family based. Awesome. I bet they did hire you with all that experience you have. (laughs) Well, I (laughs) was really, (laughs) oh my gosh, I was pleasantly surprised. I think the fact that I had done family based before, you know, they knew I understood the process because family based is a very specific process. It is. It is. And that's what I was going to say. And I want to get back to some of the stuff you talked about with the the trafficking, because that's really important. But I do want you, if you're able to just kind of where you where you were just getting ready to go, explain to our audience a little bit about what family based is, because um, family-based, that title, family-based therapy is really only a Pennsylvania thing, right? And so other students in other places don't really know. We know it's te- you know, tied to systemic family systems therapy, but um, family systems theory, I should say. But tell us, give us, give us an overview of what family-based is. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is way back whenever, I don't know, 25 years ago, whatever, <clears throat> the federal government made a decision to provide funding to through managed care to each state to develop a program to keep kids in the home. Mm. So that was like the beginning of family-based and um, Pennsylvania uses the funding, I think very effectively, but different states could do what they wanted to with it and develop their own programs. Mm. So, you know, every state has their own way of doing things and some states I'm not sure even has, you know, done anything with this funding. So when I was in Oklahoma, I was actually exploring because I was considering staying out there. And they have something kind of similar, Mm -hmm. but not nearly 
as effective, I don't think, as what Pennsylvania does. Sure. So I think we're kind of special in that way. Mm-hmm. But the point is to keep kids in the home, if possible, um, out of inpatient, out of long-term residential treatment facilities, um, with the, the idea being that that's the best place they can be. And if the family can be strengthened and stabilized, you know, then the, then the child can hopefully successfully stay in the home. And Vinay and I have seen that happen in our work. I mean, there's no guarantees and a lot of it depends on the caregivers, mm-hmm. um, but we work through the caregivers. And that's, that's the hard part. Sometimes we get into a home and we think they understand what the process is gonna be, but really they just want us to fix their kid. And that's not what we do. We obviously work with the child, yes. We do individual sessions with the child. Uh, We try to do three sessions a week with each family, with one being a parenting with whoever the caregivers are. And we try to involve, um, if there's two caregivers, we try to involve both. Um, But whoever's doing that, we do parenting, then we do family with as many people living in the home participating as possible and then individual with the child and we also collaborate with the school and other systems that are involved so the the goal being to stabilize the home help them learn skills to communicate better and you know for the well-being of the child so you know when it works it works sometimes we just kind of get families going in the right direction and ultimately, it's up to them what they do with what they learn, you know, from our services. Sure. But, you know, we and we develop a therapeutic relationship with them. Boundaries is huge between us and them, because oftentimes some families are very open and they try to make us part of the family. <laughs> you know, so we have to really keep those boundaries up. No, we're your therapist, you know, we're your therapeutic team mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. Then others, others, it kind of goes the opposite direction. They kind of keep us at arm's length. Sure. And that doesn't really help the process either. So it can be a, a challenging process, mm-hmm. but it's, it's so effective at times and it's so rewarding. And, you know, I just love what we do, but having a really great partner is so critical. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're able to like talk between sessions to kind of, you know, figure out, okay, where do we need to go from here and, mm-hmm. and all. And we're able to have a few laughs between sessions as we're driving around York County Sure. And, you know, so it's it helps to enjoy the process a little bit, too. It does. It does. I, what I love about partnering in family based is also in session, right, that the dance that you're able to do once you get to know each other and, you know, like what your strengths and weaknesses are. And there's um, this times when your partner kind of steps in at the right time with the right thing, right? And so it just kind of makes doing the therapeutic process a lot smoother as well, especially when there's, like you said, caregivers and siblings and like a bunch of people all in one family session. That's a lot. (laughs) It takes both of you to kind of, you know, keep everything together. And so, yeah, family base is very unique in that way that it's a a therapeutic delivery to clinicians. And I, I do enjoy that as well. 
Yes, definitely, definitely. And we have we come into it with very different personalities and mm-hmm. very different kind of styles. Sure. And being a grandma that I am, mm-hmm. I can tend to one of my one of my areas that I have to work on is I can go into this lecture mode mm-hmm. um, with with the kiddos or sometimes with the parent. You know, you realize if you do this and. And I have to be very self-aware with that because there are times when you want to share some of your thoughts about the direction they're going in, but I can, I have to really be careful and Vinay will gently kind of steer things. Mm -hmm. And then I'm very aware, I'm very aware of what she's doing and I'm very thankful for it because um, it kind of then, you know, she can kind of sense when I'm getting too much into that mode. Sure. And when everybody in the house is glazing over, you know, right, right. <laughs> and so, you know, that's just one of the many examples of how, you know, we can kind of work um, with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. One of the things that you said was so interesting to me, you're talking about like families and how some are, you know, we call we use that word enmeshed, right? Like they're all in and they want to kind of be your friend and <laughs> they want you to have uh-huh, you know, yes. completely in the, the conversation. But then there are those families and um, that you said kind of keep you at arm's length because therapy sometimes has this stigma attached to it, right? It's kind of like, don't let anybody outside of the family know what's going on. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what you believe some of the changes in that are and how you explain that to families? Well, I think... It's interesting. Families have shifted in the last 20 years. Mm. Um, I know from personal experience, you know, with raising my children, you change and you kind of, things do shift with the culture a little bit and everything. And as your kids are getting older. And so we're dealing with, with caregivers who are sometimes having unexpected issues with their children. Mm. And some parents are very defensive about their children. Mm-hmm. It's they're they're having a hard time accepting that their child is really having these issues, or they want to blame it on, you know, something else going on, or you know, and 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 it's just typical parent things. I mean, I've been there. It's you know, I'm not criticizing these parents. It's just that everyone kind of, um, kind of accepts or doesn't accept how their children, their children struggles at times. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to get across to parents that really um, them making a change in how they are parenting could really, you know, promote change in their child. Um, It's hard for them to sometimes take some accountability or, or they'll feel very defensive, like you're coming in here telling me I'm a bad parent. Well, no, that's not at all what we're saying. We want to help you, you know, to realize how what you do is connected to your child. And then we also do explore, are there diagnoses maybe that haven't been considered? We watch for like signs of autism or signs of, of you know, different diagnoses that maybe haven't been considered, we're able to refer people for evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause sometimes parents just don't know what might be going on. 
And mm -hmm. so we're able to do, you know, some educational pieces to kind of help them consider and maybe get appropriate evaluations. Mm -hmm. um, so, and sometimes parents are at war with their school, their kid's school. And that's where we can come in and kind of help navigate that. You know, we can bring together the school uh, staff and the family and kind of help them learn to communicate better. Often it's just a lack of understanding or communication. Mm -hmm. So we try to help with that as well because school is such an important part of a kid's life. And, you know, the, it's important for parents in school to be able to communicate. Sure. Yeah, I think that um, piece of communication is huge because, <clears throat> excuse me, I know doing family-based, just in general saying things, you can miss a word or add an extra word and it changed the meaning of things. But when we learn to communicate and, and see things from another person's perspective, that's really what what shifts things I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So then even what you're talking about, Vinay, is even in the family setting, so within the household setting or even the communication between parents and school officials, like just helping to bridge that communication gap, right? Kind of, you know, giving a common language to talk about this particular child is helpful. Yes. And even with like the stigma reduction around mental health, it's like, I forget who told me or where I was at, but they're like, um, the stigma with mental health is because you can't see it. You can see a broken leg. You can see someone in a wheelchair, but you can't see someone who's extremely sad, depressed, extremely anxious because it looks so different. Like you get straight A's. How can you tell me you have anxiety? You know, like, but sure, we see it sure. as therapists. It's all the internal yeah. pressure or the parents' expectations of, you need to get all these good grades because you need to get good grades for college or whatever the case may be. And that's where these things develop. And so under talking about it and communicating about it is what's helping shift. We're human, right? We don't hold any of that stuff in when we're stressed. Somebody knows, right? <laughs> Especially the people close to us. If you think about it, though, we are almost like interpreters coming in because you know, if you're if you're picturing mental illness as speaking a completely different language mm. than what the parents know, you know, and can interpret. So they're seeing grades and and making determinations based on that. Well, my kid's doing great. Why are they having these other issues mm -hmm. where we can come in and kind of interpret the behaviors, you know, in the realm of mental health that you know, and help them see what it might mean and where the triggers are and what the origins might be. And we also really try to help caregivers understand themselves better because mm -hmm. oftentimes no one has helped them figure out why they see the world a certain way. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of assessment, you know, the first month and talk about the parents' timeline. You know, what was your childhood like? Um, who raised you and how did you feel, you know, in that whole process and where were your struggles? Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it sometimes really opens them up to, oh my goodness, my kid could be feeling a lot of the same things I felt. 
Or I could be turning around and doing some of the, the, the same things that were hurtful to me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So um, we kind of are interpreters in a way to come in and, you know, help them take a step back because they're living in the hectic world of trying to just get day to day. Sure. You know, um, respond to their kids day to day. We come in, help them slow down. And that's one of Anae's, you know, um, most used phrases. She she encourages people to slow down. Mm-hmm. She encourages the kids themselves. Okay, let's slow down mm-hmm. and let's think about what you just said. Yeah. So we help the parents slow down. Let's talk about your childhood. Let's talk about your family. And then, okay, how can this then possibly relate to your child and your current situation? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about diagnoses and how you've seen that change over the years that you've been in the mental health field, Patty. Oh my, it's changed so much. (laughs) So, so much. Because, you know, 20 years ago, parents were still kind of encouraging their kids to toughen up, Mm. you know, and, and parents were still very much so feeling like, they were being blamed, and so they were trying to make the focus totally behavioral. Now, I'm generalizing big time here, but but it's kind of the how the overall trends seem to be going at that time. Mm-hmm. And so over the last 20 years, oh my goodness, um, there's just been so much increased awareness and of how, of what the diagnoses even mean. Mm-hmm. And that if your child has um, ODD, you mm-hmm. know, oppositional defiant disorder, okay, it's not that we're saying your child is oppositional because you did something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, because you didn't raise them right to this point or whatever. So to help the parents see that there are outside forces as well, there's a lot that influences children. And also there are some things that are not necessarily caused by outside forces. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of things come into play into why children develop some of these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of help the parents see, okay, what can you do now? How's the best way to address it now? Mm-hmm. And um, parents are less um, less inclined, it seems to me, to, un, you know, in the past, they didn't want to see a psychiatrist because mm-hmm. they didn't want their kid to see a psychiatrist because mm-hmm. that meant something bad. That meant something negative. That meant their kid was defective, mm-hmm. where now we try to help them see what you're doing is just you know, providing a service that will help your child, you know, through some difficult times, help your child understand themselves better, Mm -hmm. help you understand your child. And if there is a medication that can help, then that's a piece of it. But that's not the whole reason for seeing a psychiatrist as though we're going to drug up this child. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a misconception that some parents in the past have had. I think parents are, are learning Mm-hmm. that psychiatry can be just a very helpful service and that they can say no Absolutely. if they don't want their child on a particular medication 
or they can try a medication and then if it doesn't seem to be helpful they can say no you know but that it's it's just another helpful service in the process sure Um, i think that what you're saying um resonates with me this idea too of um the diagnoses right and people are so afraid of the diagnosis that can come but to your point the diagnosis is just a way to get the services right does it really you know whatever any any person is um needing help with right it's you know we we, we tailor our our services and our help to each individual right and so no one size fits all just because you have this quote unquote diagnosis everything there's no you know structure of how okay we're going to just do all of these things for this for you because you have this diagnosis and it's going to work that's not how life works that's not how human beings work and so um not to take okay, I have this diagnosis and, you know, this means that I'm defective or I'm broken. No, it just means now it's on paper. And so now we can get as many people as possible in place to help you, right? And tailor a treatment that works for you, you know? That is really good. And if you think about it that way, it's a descriptor. It's Mm -hmm. descriptive of the behavior. So you can, you know, you can know what the behaviors are, but putting a name to it, a description to it, you know, it's almost like shorthand for what they are seeing Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. their child. So like you're saying, it helps the process be more effective to Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, eat more easily describe what the child is, is experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I know with me and Patty, we don't do it often, but for some families, we do say, you know, I know your child has these these diagnoses, but we aren't here to treat diagnoses. We're we are here to treat symptoms that you guys see and that we may see over the course of treatment, because we don't want to go in and say, "Well, this thing is defining your child." We want the child to be able to be an individual. Absolutely, exactly. And diagnoses can change over time. Sure, a kiddo can be diagnosed with ODD at this point in their life. And then in two years, that diagnosis can be dropped mm-hmm. if that's no longer, you know, no longer fits. Um, of course, some diagnoses, I mean, we talk to adults, we talk to parents who say, yes, I have been ADHD my whole life mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've learned to deal with it. I've learned to adapt to it. And some adults still take meds that help regulate their ADHD. So mm-hmm. some diagnoses, you know, kind of stay with you, but you know, some of them are for a, a season in that child's life and they get the help they need and they can, you know, move forward from there. Sure. Yeah. So Patty, what advice would you give to um, newer professionals in the mental health field? Um, I would suggest that they try their best to figure out what population they most enjoy working with okay so like if they are drawn to helping children if they're drawn to working with adults if they're drawn to working with male adults or female adults or marriage you know helping people in their relate you know adult relationships Mm -hmm. um whatever that whatever they're drawn to because i think within us based on our own personality and whatever we're 
you know, feel more drawn to can really define where, where we really should land and where we are possibly going to be most effective in the field. And obviously that can be changed at different times over our lifetime and our career. But just as a starting point, what population am I most drawn to? Mm -hmm. And then I would say now, go straight through, get your graduate degree and your license. Mm -hmm. Whatever graduate degree and license would apply to working with that population. And I think the person would need to research like what kind of services work best with that population. So where would I best fit? And in the process of working toward that licensure, I think it's very important to start working in the field. You know, Mm -hmm. just take whatever, um, like when I jumped in and I became a TSS and I had to drive almost an hour to work every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was where I could get that first entry level position when I was getting into the field. Yeah, got to pay your dues, huh? (laughs) Yes, yes. I sat in a classroom with the most precious young man Mm -hmm. um, for a year and Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just helped him focus and and function in that classroom. And, you know, that was my first introduction. But in that year, I learned so much about, like, how the system worked. Sure. And what schools were doing now, you know, because, I mean, my kids, you know, were still in school at that point. But you get to go into different schools and see what's happening, what the kids are up against. Mm -hmm. And so I learned a lot that first year. And then, of course, when they offered me family-based, oh, my goodness, that was such a learning experience. Absolutely, yeah. Um, So, but I did not go straight through. I just got my master's degree in 2020. Congratulations, good. Um, I had (laughs) always wanted to do it, but just never, the time was never right because I had, you know, my children and Mm -hmm and my life. And so, yeah, but I just um, dove into it. It was funny. I was sitting in a job at that point and my supervisor leans over to me in a meeting one day and just says to me, why don't you have your master's degree? Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm too, I'm too old now. It's too late. Lies. Nonsense. (laughs) I I know. And he looked at me and said, you need to get your master's degree. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. So literally like within days, I, you know, looked into um, an online program and got started. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I mean, I'm so thankful I did it. And so whenever it is just easier, (laughs) I think from my perspective, (laughs) to go straight through and then to work toward the licensure that, will best open doors for you to do the work, mm-hmm. you know, and equips you too to do the work that you want to do. Sure. Patty, your that journey, your journey is very much like mine. And so started, you know, I got a psychology degree. And well, even before that, always working in social services. And then I got a psychology psychology degree. And then I got a master's degree in human services counseling, but it wasn't a licensure track. So then I had to go back and get another master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and the whole time, <laughs> like working, you know, doing therapy, working in family. Oh so this goodness. whole idea of, you know, if I had known then <laughs> what I know yes. now, so this idea, yes. right? 
of yes. you know, and have and even going through that master's degree, and I can imagine it's the same for you as it was for me, feeling I mean, I learned a lot, don't get me wrong, but also so out of place because most of the people getting the degree with me were much younger and just starting out. And so I had so much more knowledge, right? Um, which could yes. should be a good thing, but then it's frustrating to have to do some of the some of the things, you know, at the beginner level that you've been doing for years, right? I'm like, oh my yes. God, you know how to do this already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh my God, I already understand all of this. Like, why do yes. I have to do this? <laughs> yes. So it was very frustrating for me. It's very humbling, right? Like, just get over yourself, Gloria, and humble down and just do yes. it. Because if, you know, once I figured that part out, right, to be more humble, I, I still learned a lot more, right? I learned, you know, I could always, there's always room for, for learning, but I, I went into that with such a chip on my shoulder. Like, I've been doing therapy for years. Like, oh my gosh. Yes, <laughs> yes. I know exactly what you mean. And some of the presentations we would need to do, you know, but, but then I'd just be so thankful that, okay, I'm comfortable doing this because mm-hmm. I've been doing this work. Yeah. And I'm um, explaining things in front of people and, and I know the, the language and I know, you know, kind of the, the background to a lot of it. But then, like you said, I, I learned a lot through the process as well and did a lot of reading I probably wouldn't have done if I wasn't back in graduate school. Sure. And so, yeah. So, you know, you have to, you have to just take the good with it. And, Absolutely. And things, and things change. And that's kind of the other point I wanted to, to kind of mention. We were talking about, you know, this paying our dues as, you know, in mental health. It's kind of like any other profession like that, being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is, right, that requires a lot of skill. You can go to school and learn, you know, all the textbook information. And so, you know, all about ethics and you right. know all about the right. theories. But back to our point about diagnoses not being a one-size-fit-all kind of thing and behaviors, right? Um, Working in the field for the few years that it takes you to get licensed is such a wealth of knowledge and experience because you can see three people with the same quote-unquote diagnoses that are like three different personalities, three different presentations of what's going on. And you're like, wow, you know? Yes learning how to 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 individualize and to really connect which is really the the main part of it and so um it's it's a it's a long process right you, you have the degree at hand but you're, you're you know the skill comes later right really yes. in, in the doing yeah. and so yeah yes it's interesting because um in our program we all have different backgrounds mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And you kind of see where the strengths are in different ones based on their background, different therapists. Sure. And, um, you know, it's fun sometimes to kind of hear the different perspectives um, and you see it. You see that the, the experience, the background, the um, and people have different degrees. You know, mm-hmm. some are more toward the social, the social work, work yeah. mm-hmm. and some are more into they're looking to go into marriage and family or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. and so yeah there's so much to bring to the table for sure from different levels of experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned that because I you know I have a great love and respect for social workers but I'm a little bit biased because my degree is in counseling and I recognize that they're very different right and yes. so oh, yes. you know social work for me has always just kind of been um you know 
about systems, right? Like social workers understand how systems work and they're really good at helping clients find resources, you know, but in the social work degree, there's really not counseling skills, right? Like in my counseling degree, we learn, right? You know, attending skills and counseling skills and theory. And I, all the social workers I know, they're like, oh, I didn't learn that. <laughs> my social exactly. Degree, right. Um, yes. So, but, yes. you know, of course, again, same idea, you know, they come out and then they have the experience and then they can, you know, come to a place where they learn the clinical skills. Um, but, you know, counselors learn the clinical skills in the degree. Um, and so it's just, it is very different, right? Um, yes. Yeah. How, how we're taught, how the education system is and what we are skilled at when we come out and then what other, what other kinds of skills we have to add to that to be a well-rounded, really good therapist. And so, yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Benet, do you have any other questions for Ms. Patty? Um, not that I can think of. Everything was really good. It was. I do want to go back really quick, and I know we're out of time, but Patty, if you can just, um, I want to go back to when you were talking about the human trafficking and for the young girls, because that's really interesting and something that we haven't touched. And perhaps, you know, um, we can have you back so you can talk more and let that kind of be the theme. And we can talk about that a little bit more, because I know that, you know, in the past few years, it's been such a... Um, issue right such a such a such a wide issue and uh, more awareness maybe and for sure it's 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 been an issue for a long time but in the past few years this has been this awareness this push like this is it this is a problem <laughs> you know we really <laughs> need to you know um to do something and so i, I really want to talk with you more about that Yes, well, then I can tell you that I can talk extensively. Not that I'm a big expert, but I just am passionate about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the biggest thing that Vinay and I together are learning is how it's playing out with this generation, mm -hmm. middle schoolers and high schoolers. And kids are going missing daily in our country. And they're just vanishing. Mm -hmm. And... So Vinay and I, you know, we've we've come to learn, um, just beginning to learn the tip of the iceberg here in York County, wow. and um, that people people watch like Sound of Freedom and different movies and things that are out there that are so important and so good, but they think that's what human trafficking looks like, like it's in another country. It's it's um, it looks a certain way and no, it, mm -hmm. yes, it does. But it um, so many of these children that are just going missing, they're being trafficked wow. and little littles, 10, 11, 12, even before they've developed, they um, traffickers can get big, big money for sexual experiences with little girls and little boys. And so these children are just being lured, groomed, and snatched, and before anybody even knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. And they're a lot of times they're considered runaways, which is unfortunate because it then the police handle it differently. Mm. Oh, the kids are runaways, so we just need to, you know, figure out where they ran to or whatever. And a lot of times, yes, they cooperated because they were groomed. And they were lured and they were lied to. And so, yeah, it's, it's an issue that people don't even realize is going on right under our noses. And I would definitely want to say, like, Patty has helped 
uh, at least our family-based team, you know, trying to get the word out and shedding light because this is another safety risk, like family-based. Another piece I don't think we really touched on is like, we do have more severe with suicidal ideations, extreme aggression, and, you know, the the human trafficking piece should be another factor on there because mm-hmm. we've seen it. We've seen it. Wow. Yeah, we definitely have to have another podcast where we talk about this a little bit more because I, I think this is an important topic that we need to kind of, um, you know, surface and um, get other people involved in the conversation. So absolutely yes would come back and talk to us another time patty we would appreciate that i would love to and thank you so much for having me today (laughs) thank you so much for your time thank you patty thank you i'll see you soon okay Okay, see you later see ya bye Thank you for tuning into the Vision Exchange podcast. It was brought to you by Taylor's Glory Consulting Group. We love hanging out with you. We want you to subscribe, comment, and stay tuned to our channel for more podcasts. You especially don't want to miss the Sunday Night Wind Down Gear Up Countdown to help you get your week started. We look forward to being with you again. But until then, stay focused on your goal. Peace out.